Welcome to Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Here is your special guest host, Jody McLean, Director of Sales and Marketing at EIC. We're here today with Chris Hively, new author and uh, ecosystem builder. And Chris, you have a little different vantage point than our normal guests. We often highlight um, uh, municipal and state leaders in economic development. And you don't come from your traditional economic development background. Uh, Your background is really interesting, though. You've been an entrepreneur and had some really big things happen in your entrepreneurial career. You're a VC and you've now written a book on ecosystem building. So tell me about your book. Who is it written for? And why do people need to read it? Well, thanks, Jody. Um, well, let's start at the end. Why do people need to read it? Because I think everyone listening is motivated and inspired to help their local economy have a kind of a broader, more diverse um, you know, economic kind of base of which entrepreneurship is a huge piece. And so I've spent most of my life either being an entrepreneur or supporting entrepreneurs. And so if anybody's interested in entrepreneurship in their community, they should read this book. Yeah, what's the name of your book? I didn't even say that. I yeah, <laughs> that's all right. It's called Build a Fort, the Startup Community Builders Field Guide. And so there's two pieces of that, Jody. The first is the Build a Fort, which is something I do. It's my mindset. And obviously, this is a field guide. So the idea of this field guide is that it's actionable it's tactical. It's, you know, there's a mindset approaching, but once you have the mindset, what are the things I can do tomorrow that might be a little bit different that might actually boost um, the outcomes that we all want for our local communities? All right, great. Let's get a little bit more into the outcomes. And you talked about a field guy and tactical um things that you can do to actually build an ecosystem because ecosystem building is difficult. We have this conversation daily. You know, we talk about it a lot in our our podcast as well. Um, So do you include like a process or a guide or what? Give me a little idea more of the tactical side of that, because I think our audience will be interested. Yeah, sure. Um, So let me share the last kind of, so the last 10 to 13 years I've been involved in and building the startup ecosystem or the entrepreneurial community in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, it's not a one person job. It's a, it's, it's, you know, very collaborative. There's actors, right. From, from, you know, government and NGOs to universities, to entrepreneurs, to investors, right. We all have this role to play as actors in this ecosystem building. And then the last six years, I, uh, up until a couple of years ago, I spent four and a half years, five years with the Techstars crew, um, Brad Feld, David Cohen, you know, who are helping entrepreneurs in a very unique way. And we build a consulting business for ecosystem development. And so I flew from, you know, I, I tell people from Lima, Peru to Fort Wayne, Indiana, you know, to from, uh, you know, Taipei, Taiwan to, to Richmond, Virginia and, and everything yes. in between. So in terms of your audience, you know, wherever you're sitting, you know, we, we addressed what, 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 what you needed. And our view is that you need to take, um, you need to understand the entrepreneurial journey best to best figure out the things you need to do for your ecosystem. And so when I talk about tactics, it's usually about maybe shifting your mindset, maybe a slightly um, different approach, um, but it's usually kind of going right to the founders and fi- finding out and determining what your founders and your community need in order to go forward. 
Interesting. So you and David, our CEO, come from that similar vantage point in that you were both entrepreneurs. And when David created Startup Space, the platform, uh, he was filling a need, uh, solving a problem that he encountered as a small business owner, that there was this very siloed ecosystem that wasn't very well connected in the community that we live in and um, and solve, set out to solve that problem. Like, why is the why is it so siloed? Why is it so difficult to launch a business? So tell me more about how your vantage point as an entrepreneur and even as a VC it makes you uniquely qualified to write a book like Build the Fort and to create a field guide for ecosystem building for uh, economic development. Yeah, well, I think the, the easiest answer is that I've lived all of the roles. And so that gives me some vantage point of understanding all the different needs and, and kind of the pressures that each of us have in order to kind of move our community forward. Um, but it's, it's so interesting that we all want the same thing. We want what's best for your community. And I want what's best for your community because this isn't a zero-sum game, right? This isn't like, you know, Richmond's success is Louisville's, you know, demise, right? What we're all trying to do is make this pie bigger. And if we think about making this pie bigger with respect to our own community, we're thinking about how to inspire and support new entrepreneurs in your area. Okay. Now we can get into recruiting companies and recruiting capital and all these other things. And that might be maybe a play that makes sense at some level. But at the end of the day, this has to be kind of, you know, for and from your own community. And we know that as an entrepreneur, it's, you have fear, right? Fear of what, what to do, fear of, um, you don't have perfect knowledge. You don't have access to this knowledge and, and, and other people that have been on this journey. And so, you know, when I use the word connect, you know, what I jokingly say is that, you know, in the 75 cities that I've, I've, you know, been part of in the last five years, what I'll say is, you know, uh, same problems, different weather. And the problems are usually like, (laughs) you know, they're not connected. You're sitting in these silos, you know, with the best of motivation, you know, you're doing your piece and you're trying to be heads down and doing your your role. And, you know, but let these walls, right. These silos are created and that kind of helps prevent um, progress. And so the first thing we do is just say, let's just start connecting. Interesting. So many questions I could go, go to from there. And I think the first one is you mentioned a lot of different cities. Talk to me about uh, cities you've been to, what are some of those cities that are doing it right? And maybe give me some examples of how they're doing it right. And maybe some of the mistakes that you see being made that are common. Sure. Great question. And, and you know, you know, it starts with, you know, let me just be clear. There is no one playbook. There is no one way to do it. There's not one, you know, set of, uh, you know, a pacing or, or progress, right? Everything's going to kind of work on its own scale. But one of the places I'm really happy with, um, is Birmingham, Alabama. Interesting. So, you know, Birmingham would never be probably on anybody's top 10 or 15 list of, you know, startup meccas or hubs. But here we have, uh, you know, a southern city, a little quiet, um, has a university. And yet when I went in to visit them and, and saw what they were doing, the cross kind of group collaboration was one of the best I've ever seen. Wow. And in fact, in this kind of two day deep dive that I was doing, you know, I got to sit with the mayor. I got to sit with university people. Um, There was a space where they brought in all of the kind of quote unquote leaders, everyone taking a role, 
you know, investment, you know, funds, um, other serial entrepreneurs that had been successful that were giving back to their community. And they all sat in one room and it's, it was clear they enjoyed working together. It was clear they liked each other and there was no kind of competitive, you know, your win is my loss or, you know, we're both competing for the same grant money. There's none of that. It's how can we work together for the betterment of the, of the entrepreneurs in our area? And, you know, Jody, if we could kind of, you know, get in our time machine and go, you know, five or 10 years in the future, I think you're going to see um, some amazing things coming out of little old Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, that's amazing. I'm going to put that on my uh, cities to watch list. That's super cool. Um, okay, so your journey, and if we could get in a time machine, I'd love to go back to the 1990s and talk about how you were one of the founders of MapQuest. That's a very significant claim to fame. Um, and then, you know, a couple of decades later and then into the future, talk to me about the evolution of especially E-led, entrepreneurship-led economic development and how you've seen the industry evolve over that period of time? That's a big question, I know. Yeah, it's a big question. But by the way, that's why we're here, right? Is yeah. to kind of figure this stuff out. Um, so you mentioned MapQuest. Just as a point um, of reference, we, we baked that originally in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So, you know, when we talk about me being an entrepreneur and my entrepreneurial viewpoint, it's not Silicon Valley or New York or Boston or even some of the new wave places like Seattle or Austin, right? It's, it's Lancaster, Pennsylvania. When I think huh. about, I mentioned, you know, me being a community builder, it's in Raleigh, Durham. Again, not, you know, Seattle or Chicago or even Nashville uh, or Atlanta. And so, you know, my viewpoint of what ELED means is that, you know, we have to work extra hard in these cities because the culture of entrepreneurship does not exist or it doesn't exist to the level that we need it to exist. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a perfect example of work I'm doing right now in Columbia, South Carolina, right? So again, another very small half million population Southern town and it's dominated by state government and the university of South Carolina. So the culture of that area is not entrepreneur led. In fact, it's not even entrepreneurship, right? It's, you know, the good news is their economy is never going to go in the dumps because they have two major institutions who are the major, you know, job providers. But the bad news is that people don't naturally think this is a place that I can start my company. So we talk about my goal, my goal in E-led economic development. I'm working with the city, county, and the state. I'm working with the university. I'm working with all the different players to say, how can we together it's going to take us a couple of years, but build a culture of entrepreneurship for those single digit percentage of, you know, uh, wannabe future and existing entrepreneurs in the area. How do we support them so that others start to see, hey, that's me. I want to dive into this journey. I've always thought I wanted to do this. I didn't know how. Let's build a community around me and, and so that I can be successful. So that's um, maybe my version of an answer for your question. So going back to the book and the tactical pieces involved, um, you outline as a first step a community audit. So when you talked about different communities having different um, features and benefits, so to speak, for ELED, what is a community audit to you and, and why is that step number one? Thanks for diving into this because, you know, it's it's like – 
a business in a way in that how do you know what you have and what you're missing if you don't actually go and inventory that stuff? And by the way, different communities have different assets. And so the idea is, you know, until I understand where we're at at this journey and what we have to use and what our gaps are, I can't best outline what the next steps are because the same steps that work in Columbia don't work in Louisville and the steps that worked in Louisville are not going to work in Des Moines. And so, you know, one of the, one of the things I say when I have these kind of 11 truths that I outline really early in the book, just to kind of level set everyone's expectations. And I say, you know, communities are like children. They should never be compared. Right. And, and like, you like that? I do. Yeah. And in that way, they're different. They have different needs and, Look no further than your own children or your siblings that you grow up with. Like we all have different needs and we all need, have different needs at different times. So this audit is kind of your foundation to say, all right, here's what we have. Here's where we're going. Here's what we need to fill. Yeah, somewhere in your book, you talked about uh, not comparing your community to others and the level of maturity and all of that. I, I get that now. I like that comparison. Um so in your book, you talked about not comparing your community to others. So now I get that comparison that your level, your community's maturity may just be different than another community's maturity. And I hear a lot of cities comparing themselves or saying, we're going to be the next Silicon Valley. And I've never really believed that. You don't ever want to be the next anything. You want to be your own unique thing. How can communities better package themselves to draw in the right kind of entrepreneurs that will fit in with the features that the city has to offer? Great question. I mean, the bottom line is that we all have stories to tell and storytelling is an integral part of, of, of kind of talking about your community, inspiring others inside your community and bringing awareness of your community to others outside of it. And so the stories you tell um, help define who you are and what you're good at and where you're going. And so um, one of the key aspects in the book we tell is that everyone's a storyteller, right? Whether you're doing a blog or whether you're working with your, you know, chamber or your economic development group um, to get, you know, um, you know, talks at conferences or articles written about you. You know, the thing we say is tell stories about your community and tell them about your entrepreneurs. And, you know, the beautiful thing is that, you know, kind of ripping, riffing on this uh, idea about snowflakes, every community is its own snowflake, right? It has its own story. And that's unique to you. So, so grab it and run with it and talk about it and share those entrepreneurial sturdy, stories, share those entrepreneurial stories, because what will happen is that only, not only will that lift those entrepreneurs in your region and, and maybe nationally, but it'll also um, be inspiration for new entrepreneurs in the area to say, wow, if this thing can happen, you know, in Knoxville, maybe I can do it too. Right. So storytelling is a, is an easy way to kind of elevate um, kind of what's unique about your your area. Huge fan of storytelling. Anytime you can create an image in somebody's mind through words, I think that's so much more powerful than just giving them words. You create that, that image or that feeling that resonates. Um, so we, when you talk about community maturity, you know, some, some are really in the beginning phases of creating their ecosystem. And some are very, like you said, you know, Raleigh Durham are further along. Are there different driver priorities, let's say, and different risks at the different stages of community and community building? 
Uh, sure. Yeah. And so I outlined four levels of community maturity, nascent, developing, emerging, and leading. And I outline kind of what are the, what, what do those communities look like? What do they feel like? What do you, what was happening in those communities at different levels? And then we overlay seven drivers that you need to activate and the drivers that are more, you know, and there's prioritization, there's drivers that are important when you're at the nascent stage and there's drivers, different drivers that you should be kind of activating at the emerging stage, as an example. And one of the problems I see is when nascent or developing communities try to go too fast. I call it trying to find the express train to Everest, right? <laughs> there's no express train to climbing Everest. You have to go through each one of these base camps. And so the idea is, and my hope for um, economic development folks who are motivated to help is to get them to kind of prioritize the drivers that are important based on where they're at, hence the audit, why the audit tells you where you're at maturity-wise. So let me give you an example, Jody. Right. So, um, you know, one of the things that I had to learn the hard way is, you know, how do I recruit possible investors for my startups to be able to raise money? And, the idea was I was at first trying to do in Raleigh-Durham both at the same time. And then I realized that if I bring good investors in to see eh, companies, I may never get them back, right? They see great companies every day all over the world, if not you know all over the country, if not all over their city. Let's say they're coming from New York. So, if, so the issue is if I put eh, founders with eh, ideas in front of these people, all right, the, the timing isn't right. So what I need to do is make sure that I build a great pipeline of very good founders with very good ideas. And I support them kind of first and get them activated and up and going and, and put the right mentorship around them. And only then, you know, maturity-wise, do I then, once I have that kind of pipeline going, then I can start worrying about maybe bringing in and activating more investors in the area. And it's a subtle little thing, but if you don't get that right, you actually um, put in play the chance of you moving backwards instead of oh. forwards because those investors, local, regional, national, will then have this eh, look about what your community is about. And so we got to make sure that the first thing they see, the first stories they hear are really good ones. Two different things about um, developing community leaders in mentorship. Let's, let's go with the mentorship piece, right? How, how important is mentorship and um, how are people doing it, getting it wrong, and how are some communities getting it right? Because mentorship to me is really critical, even before the money comes. It really is. And though things aren't very linear, it is kind of after building great community leaders and activating founders, mentorship is the next in the driver kind of sequence. And, you know, again, with the best of intentions, here's typically what I see in nascent and developing communities, what they do with mentorship. Um, they, they go out and they kind of inventory every kind of 50 to 65 year old successful business person um, who let's be honest uh, because of their age is usually a white male and uh-huh. and they and they and they gather and these are usually friends you know that they've done they've done business together they may be you know y'all have worked together on building the new you know performing arts center or something and they bring them into this group of you know, first-time founders who are kind of just starting out, maybe they're a year, even two years into their journey. And um, either these mentors either volunteer, or sometimes they're even paid a small stipend. And then they're kind of, you know, 
their forced marriage. Okay, here is your mentor. You know, you're part of my entrepreneurial organization, um, you know, as a founder, and I've assigned you a mentor. And, you know, again, the best intents and, and both parties want to do make this a, an amazing relationship. But I'm going to tell you in 90% of the times it doesn't work. Now, you're talking to a 63-year-old man here who happens to be white. So I am also the poster child for this, <laughs> Jody. And let's go back to what the thing you referenced earlier. So what will happen is if I'm in this role in this small community, this founder would say, oh, my God, you did MapQuest. I need to learn from you how to build an audience or a product like that. And then I stop and I say, well, let me remind you that was over 25 years ago. The entire world was different, right? The internet barely existed. And so none of my experiences are actually applicable or relevant to your journey today. And so that's kind of wrong mentorship. Right mentorship is finding those other founders and employees who are no more than one to maybe four or five years ahead of me who still have the oozing scars from making all these mistakes and challenges, but who know them in today's world. Those make the best mentors. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, because I think back to you and nothing against the 60 plus white men because you've, you know, you've built businesses too. And I think the basic business principles don't really change. Just the tools and the mechanisms change of how those basic business principles can be built and built faster and built better. Uh, so bridging those, uh, the experience and the, the gray hair, if you will, with the uh, innovation side with the millennials and I guess the Gen Xers, millennials aren't even like the young kids anymore, are they? Um, I think it's important to have both pieces of that and both uh, vantage points from the basics all the way up to here's how it is today. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of my take on that. And I'm, so, I'm glad you referenced that because to take that mentorship thing just a little bit farther Sure. The best mentor relationships are one that become almost like a peer relationship, right? Where both parties are learning and figuring things out together. And so this idea of a paid mentor, this kind of quasi father figure, like that doesn't really work. Um, and because if the founder doesn't respect the person that's sitting across from them, then these are just wasted minutes and wasted time. So mentorship should be a little more, again, grassroots, a little more ad hoc. It should be kind of a mutual decision that they both want to work together, as an example. That's how you do mentorship right. Huh. Very good. Um, let's get back into the seven drivers. I know a lot of our uh, audience is often government in government, and you, this government is the last of the seven drivers. Is there a reason for that? And maybe you even want to kind of go through the, the seven drivers in the order that you have them and why. Yeah, I'm going to give them to you in order, but I'm also going to say that they're overlapping and some of them run in parallel and they're, you know, sure. and the orders also sometimes can be kind of, um, kind of set up based on the assets <laughs> and the audit that you did. Um, Got it. But, All right. But in kind of a, for the sake of this argument, you know, you have to develop good community leadership. That's the cultural foundation and how you're all going to work together. That's got to be critical um, for kind of step one. Step two is you need to inspire and support, you know, and develop kind of founders or new startups. Third is mentorship that we talked about. Fourth are developing investors, both first locally and then regionally. And then kind of, I say kind of the last three, five, six, seven are kind of all tied for fifth or sixth or seventh, but it's corporations, universities, and government. And again, you can kind of order these in different ways, but for the most part, the first four are a community in our view. Right. 
leaders, founders, investors, and mentorship. Okay. That makes a community. I believe you can't have an ecosystem until you have a community. The difference between a community and an ecosystem is the people in the community are pretty much all in working full time on their day job in terms of what's happening in terms of entrepreneurship. When you get to kind of corporations, universities, and government, typically those people have multiple roles, wear many hats, of which fostering entrepreneurship may not be the only thing that they're doing. That doesn't mean they're any less important, but they have to balance all of those things. So if you're at the university, maybe you're teaching entrepreneurship, right? You have three or four classes, you're into the students, you know, helping to foster entrepreneurship in the greater community may not be your primary goal. Maybe it's in your top three or four. So I set that stage, Jody, to talk about how those people kind of, what role they play and how they interact and how those connections are made are a little bit different. You have to recognize that. So government is a perfect example, right? We all know that government and economic development run on certain kind of, you know, time periods, right? Either elected officials and their priorities and what they're promising, two, four, maybe six year kind of cycles. And with that, they need wins and, right? The dynamics of what's important to them are different than the dynamics inside the startup community. Again, so, you know, if you don't have the community up and running, you don't have that frothy frothiness that we all hope for, that gives these government officials, you know, um, I don't want to say bureaucrats in a bad way, but people who are, you know, working in these roles, we got to give them something to, to, to lift, right? It's very difficult for them to be the lifters, okay? Um, they have to be kind of almost secondary and, and more of a support role. And that goes, again, for corporate executives, you know, university researchers, instructors, and administrators, and um, government folks, mostly around economic development. So, you know, my my old partner, Brad Feld, who's written a couple books about this, you know, I think he did it well when at first he talked about kind of, well, now he just talks about kind of leaders and feeders and influencers, right? And the idea that um, it's very difficult sometimes for government um, individuals to be the leaders in the ecosystem because they don't are not they don't understand the entrepreneurial journey, right? They can be. That doesn't mean they don't have a significant role, but they can be playing maybe more of an influencer role than a leader role. And that influence can come in, and we outline this in, you know in really good detail in the book. You know three or four different ways that you can kind of play a role and support it as opposed to trying to kind of operate it or run it on some political time frame. So you save measuring progress as the last chapter. And I think about the government. The government really needs to track impact and they want to see ROI when they invest into a community. Why, why save that to last? And what do you think we should measure? And what do you think we should not measure? Yeah, I mean, if I had a dollar every time I got asked this question, I'd have a lot How of many dollars. dollars <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's and it's I save it for last because it's important, and I want it to be one of the last thoughts that you have. And hopefully, if I've set up the mindset, and we talk about complexity and and complex systems, you know, the the end result of that that we all need to have right is how do we measure progress? How do we know we're on the right track? How do we know we're moving in the right direction? Totally get that. 
I've been a business person for, for 40, 50 years, right? We all understand the value of measuring. Um, I do think that this is a very unique um, system and that as a unique system that we have to be super smart and super open to adopting different kind of measurement thoughts. So, um, you know, typically in startup community building, we go to measure um, things that we think that feel like they're important. They also happen to be the easiest things to gather. And those are jobs, net new jobs, and uh, kind of net capital, like the amount of capital that's going into our, um, our, our startups and growth companies. And those are two really good measuring sticks. However, I would say from a systems point of view, they are lagging indicators of what's happening, not um, facilitators, right? More money does not mean greater success. I would say that um, if you're only looking for net new jobs, you miss the example of like Instagram being purchased by Facebook for a billion dollars, had 12 employees, right? Wow. I would hope that all of you would want to have an Instagram in your community. But if you're only judging it on the number of jobs it produced, it would be a failure. And I would say, oh, no, 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 please don't look at it that way. All right. So what we really want to measure and identify are the drivers, the things, the activities that we're doing that seem to produce more better entrepreneurs and more better startups. And so what I encourage people to do is go back to more of the measuring the inputs and figuring out what's driving some success than kind of catching things like capital or net new jobs at the back end of the system. Again, I'm not saying don't do that, but if you only do that, um, you know, you, you could actually, you know, not do well by your community. So what are the things I like to measure? One of the words you mentioned early in, in our interview, connectivity. It's not easy to do it, but I'd like to see who's all connected and make sure that pe more people are connected. If we believe that we cannot predict which companies at the idea stage will be the successful ones, that we have to actually make a lot of little bets on all of them, knowing that some of them will fail, some of them will kind of be zombies, some of them might break out. How do I invest in all of them? Well, one of the ways we can do that is making sure that they have all the resources available to them that they need. And most of those resources are through being connected to those resources. So, so let's measure that. Let's figure out, let's, uh, and there's ways to do that. Usually one-on-one interviews is the best way to do that. And there's a fantastic report by Endeavor on this. If anybody wants to geek out with me on, on measuring connectivity. Yeah, fostering um, entrepreneur-led uh, economic development. First time I saw the e-led reference. I like what you're saying about connectivity. You get it. I get it. As entrepreneurs, we understand how important that is. But there's not really a dollar sign attached to that as far as measuring impact with connectivity. So what do you have to say to that? Yeah, there's not an immediate dollar sign, but there's a long-term dollar sign. And so, you know, here's what I, here's what I share with, um, you know, your audience when I've been in these sessions. Um, the average time that it takes for a startup from idea to some kind of financial exit, right? The dollar signs at the end is today almost like nine to 11 years. Okay. So in that nine to 11 year time frame, you know, measuring connectivity works if you have that kind of mindset and patience to wait to that. 
Of course, by the time you get 10 years out, you look back and go, okay, well, it didn't work. I just wasted 10 years. So I, I, I get that kind of dynamic. But in the interim, you can measure the things that we talked about. We can measure the amount of revenue these companies are generating. We can look at the number of people that they're adding. We can see the, the amount of capital they're raising along the way. We can measure where that capital is coming from and the size of it. Those are great little kind of interim kind of uh, guideposts to know that we're moving in the right direction. But, but what I want you to think about is that you're really not going to know the answer for 10 years. And so as, you, as, you, as we... As we you and I run to 10 years, turn around and look back today. What are the things we're going to need to see, right? We're going to need to see that there's more founders today than there were 10 years ago. We got to see that those founders are building their startups and that they're starting to kind of, you know, work through the funnel, right? And getting bigger and bigger, knowing that a number are going to fail. We can look at what they decide to do afterwards. Do they start a new company after they fail? That's a very, you know, mature ecosystem trait, Right that they're not uh, disenfranchised or thought of poorly. In fact, it's like, great, what are you doing next? You learned your lessons on, on the f- previous startup. What are you going to do differently this time? Can we, can we, because you're going to be smarter this time. So you can look at a lot of these um, kind of subtle things. The problem is that they're very difficult to measure these. But if we bake that into the life cycle of kind of your community and those companies, I think you'll see some greater alignment. Great. Okay. So that comes back to the mindset piece with our audience in mind of economic development, economic developers and community builders. Why do you say in your book that a short-term mindset is more important than a long-term mindset? Well, it's probably the entrepreneur in me who's trying to figure out how I just survive the next day, week, month, maybe year. Um, you know, entrepreneurs are fickle and we're kind of snobby and we can be snarky sometimes. And the reason being is we're putting a lot at risk, right? We're putting, you know, our careers, maybe our family, you know, our relationships at risk here. So we know what we want. We don't have time for things that aren't going to benefit us. And so if you are not in sync with your founder or founders in your community, if you don't understand their needs, if you prop up activities or events or things that they don't see the value in, they're not going to connect. They're not going to dive in. And those activities will now be looked at as failures. So a short-term mindset, maybe even I say an experimental or iterative mindset, says, let's start to figure this out. Um, We can kind of turn these things up or back as we need. And let's figure out how to um, kind of get momentum Uh, I I talk about momentum as a very key piece of this. You know, you put together a coffee meetup. It starts with 10 people. You know, the next thing you know, it's got 20 people. The next thing it's got 50. Then it bends. All right, now we're going to go from just a coffee meetup to once a month, we're going to meet together and have a mentorship session. Like if you think of those as little short-term wins and building momentum, that momentum becomes kind of contagious, creates goodwill and smiles and a positive contagion starts to exist, which only feeds on itself. Um, if you think about long-term, how am I going to get 100 new entrepreneurs and they're going to raise $100 million and that's our goal? I don't know how you get there, right? Um, that feels like you're going to try to engineer something or, or, or kind of problem solve for that. And I don't believe you can do that effectively in startup community building. 
Let's wrap this by asking, what makes a good community builder? For those that are especially just getting started or those who want to make their uh, ecosystem more connected and more thriving, can anyone get involved? What makes a good community builder? Well, the first answer is anybody and everyone should be involved. Um, We outline all the different actors in the book. And to the best of my ability, I try to outline different roles and different ways that anybody can play a role. Remember that um, we're here to serve founders. Their success is our success. And the thing about every single one of us, regardless of who we are, we all bring a set of experiences, a network, um, time, hopefully. And when we bring all those things to the founder community and we help serve them, hopefully they'll make better decisions, more better ones than, than not so good ones, and hopefully continue to build their company forward and add jobs and raise capital and do all the things that we're going to measure, right, that, that, that show us that we're doing good for our community. Um, in terms of what makes for a great community builder, I think it's having an open mind to not, um, to, and that's why we talk a lot about mindset in the book, is to come in with the right approach. It's more of a, uh, what we call a give first approach, where we give first without any expectation of getting anything in return, not transactional at all, that we do, we spend more time listening and we figure out um, how I can bring, you know, my experiences, my network, my brain um, to, to, the, to the table uh, in a very collaborative way. And that those people, that mindset make for the best community builders. We've had a big, long conversation that took a lot of different directions. What's one key takeaway that you'd like to leave people with? Uh, my favorite question. Uh, and it's fact, it's, 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 the, it's, it's the last of the 11th truth in the beginning of the book, which is it doesn't cost any money. It takes a little bit of time, but spend more time connecting than coordinating. Connecting than coordinating. Ooh, that's powerful coordinating. All right. I got it. I wrote that one down. So Chris Hively, the author of Build the Fort. Tell people where they can buy your book, please. Uh, it's available on Amazon and mm-hmm. Kindle, paper book, hardcover, and audiobook, hopefully in about a month or so. Great. Congratulations on the book. Are you going on a tour? Uh, we're just starting to set up. We're looking for interested communities that would love to bring me in and uh, do a little book tour, a little talk. And uh, of course, always willing to meet with your local founders and see how I can help them be more successful. I love it. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's so good to talk to you, Chris. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. You can find show notes, more episodes, send us ideas, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, economicimpactcatalyst.com. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers, available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.